you really think you could? Sing of his love forever. Do you ever get tired of honoring God? I don't think we should. It should be a constant thing. It should be something we always do. Something that just comes, comes naturally to us. We have a special treat this morning. <clears throat> the youth group worked on a newscast. Do you have that, Justin? Do you know where that is? Uh, and I want to show it to you. I thought it was pretty cool. And uh, I'm not even sure who put it together, but uh, I think Sarah did. Sarah Kelton, I think. So check it out. Thanks for doing that. I appreciate it. That was fun. All right. <clears throat> this morning, I appreciate you being here, and uh, we want to dive into God's Word once again and uh, look at uh, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. <laughs> Seems like I say that often. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, what's it say? I don't conform any longer to the ways of the world, but, but we need to be transformed, right, by changing the way we think. We're talking about life-changing attitudes. And uh, last week we talked about accountability and uh, how important accountability is. And this morning we want to talk about compassion. Compassion is something that 
either get it or you don't. You either have it or you don't. You either feel it or you just sometimes don't. I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that uh, really kind of exemplifies um, this, this whole idea. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We find a story of uh, a young man that comes to Jesus, and uh, he's asking some questions. And he's not coming to Jesus asking some questions as one that really wants to really dive in and learn. Uh, he's asking some questions because he wants to trap Jesus. He wants to uh, not only justify himself, but he wants to uh, get Jesus in a, in a bad spot. And so he comes in asking some questions. Look at it with me in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied. I like it how Jesus kind of turns it back on this guy and, and puts the question back in his court. Jesus says, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that just the cutesy little canned answer that you would expect from a religious expert? Right? There was nothing wrong with his answer. And Jesus told him, right. Do this and you will live. Jesus kept it pretty simple, right? Look where the man goes next. The man wanted to justify his actions, and so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And once again, instead of just answering his question and trying to be logical about it, Jesus goes into a story to explain it. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw a man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then... A despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who attacked, was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. Luckily, the man was still there. He didn't leave when Jesus started his story. The man replied, he didn't say the Samaritan, right? He wouldn't even go to that, to that extent. He said simply, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, Yes, now go and do the same. Compassion is something that oftentimes gets, gets way out of control. But then at sometimes it's, we don't have enough of it. 
Many times throughout Scripture, Jesus tells us to share compassion and be compassionate and love our neighbor. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 34, we have another story. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, imagine that, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most, most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second equal, of equal importance, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So once again, Jesus reemphasizing the fact that we should share and love, have compassion on those, of us, those who are our neighbors, right? Very important. The Old Testament, their neighbors were really just those who were right next to them, those who were really close to them. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, it says, Forget about the wrong things people do to you, and do not try to get even. It says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. I am the Lord. So in the Old Testament, it was really kind of those just right around them. But Jesus sort of widened that net a bit. He he made it a little farther out. He made it a little bigger than what it was uh, in the Old Testament. He changed the perspective a bit. Matthew chapter 5, look at what he says in verse 46. It says, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Church, I believe that we as a congregation, that we as Christians need to be a little different than the world. We need to stand out from the world. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, we just looked at it. It says we need to be different, not conform to what the world is doing. The world loves people. The world shows compassion. The world is charitable. The world is oftentimes good. We need to take it up a few notches. We need to take it to the next level. But Jesus makes a, the net a little wider, but then in the, some of the rest of the Scripture, he, he narrows it back down. He gets it back down to what we actually should do. I, I believe that the world sees the hurting and the needy in two different ways. And I think we each can put ourselves in one of these two categories. All right? The first one is the bleeding heart. Okay? The bleeding heart. They think everyone is an innocent victim. It's, it's the people who think that no one has any fault of their own. Well, it's the environment that did it to them. Well, it's, the, it's their parents or it's their whatever it is, right? They're the bleeding hearts. They're the ones that just have plenty of compassion, but it's so much so that it's just they bleed for everyone. And the second group, and once again, you put yourself in one of these two groups. The second group is the hard-hearted. They think that everyone gets what they deserve. If you tend to be in this camp, life is probably going pretty well for you. Life's probably never been that difficult for you. It's probably always been pretty hunky-dory if you're in this camp. We tend to be, or this group tends to be hard-hearted. Nobody who's just lost their job lands in this group. Uh, They oftentimes will go the other direction. Both of these extremes have seeds of truth. 
And uh, we, we all have our tendencies to be one or the other. So think about it. Which do you have a tendency to be? Do you have a tendency to have a bleeding heart and always have compassion on, on every way, on everyone, siding with the underdog most often? Or do you have a tendency to be the hard-hearted, where it's, you know, you kind of get what you deserve? What do you think? Which one do you tend to be? As we go through this message, there will be many things that will refer back to those two aspects of, of your life. And oftentimes, when you're the bleeding heart, you have very little <laughs> compassion for the hard-hearted, and vice versa. If you tend to be more of the hard-hearted, the, the bleeding heart just kind of irritates you and frustrates you and gets, kind of gets under your skin. So let's talk about it. If, if we were going to have this conversation, if I was going to present this message on a, on a one-on-one level, if I was able to sit down with one of you and just kind of talk with you about these things, it would be very simple to read your thoughts and to read your heart and to find out where you are. And it'd be very easy to then guide the, the message to what you needed, right? It'd be pretty simple that way. However, that's not the case this morning. I can't speak necessarily directly to your needs and concerns. And so what I want you to do is not hear this message for someone else. I want you to hear this message for you. It's going to be very easy if you tend to be the hard-hearted to hear this message and say, you know what, those bleeding hearts, they're just, a real, they're just really annoying. They're just really frustrating. And if you're one of those bleeding hearts that always, you know, that oftentimes will, will side with the underdog and oftentimes feels with everyone, you're going to be, it's going to be very easy for you to, to hear the things I say about the hard-hearted and say, yeah, you guys shouldn't have, you shouldn't be so hard-hearted. But what I want you to do is try to come to the middle. Not be such a bleeding heart and not be such a hard-hearted, okay? We all have move, movement to, we all have room to move, okay? And that's the whole point and, and uh, that's the, the whole idea uh, behind the message this morning. Listen to this message for you. Hear what you need to hear. Find the scripture that communicates to your tendencies. If you're a bleeding heart, try to hear the boundaries. If you're the hard-hearted, listen for the expansions. How could you expand your compassion? All right? Okay, so now let's gain some biblical perspective. Let's dive into the heart of compassion. I asked you a question last week. Can you feel it when they hurt? I hope we can answer that question uh, by the time we make it to the end of this, this message. Before we go any farther, let's look to God in a word of prayer. God, we know that you are the ultimate in sharing compassion. We understand that you did it perfectly when you sent your son here, uh, when, he, when, when he did everything he did here, he was perfect at this. He shared the compassion when it needed to be shared, and he, he, was, he, he sometimes even ignored those that were beaten on his door for extra help when he knew that they didn't, it's, that's, that's not what they needed. God, please help us to be able to understand from your perspective, from, from your word, what it is that we should do when it comes to compassion. 
Pray that you'll bless our morning. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Compassion. We've got to have a heart for the hurting. Can you feel it when they hurt? First thing, the first point we want to make is we want to, we want to distinguish. We want to make a distinction between divine appointments and drive-by guiltings. You ever had those drive-by guiltings? Yeah? You ever had those divine appointments and you're like, oh, I wonder if that's from God. Hmm. Let's try to see what, if we can figure out what's what. One of them comes from above. One of them's vertical. And you hear me talk about that often. But the other one is almost completely horizontal. We need to determine the difference. So in order to determine the difference, I want to look at the divine appointments. I want to look at what it really is when it comes from God. I have all sorts of people telling me um, how to live my life. They all have a great plan for me. They have a great plan for my time. They have a great plan for my money. They have a great plan for my energy. And they all have, you know, they all use the same, well, you know, you're, you're, you're a preacher, you're a minister, you're a, a Christian man. And, and here's a verse that even tells you that this is what you should be doing. And they have it all planned out. If I listen to every one of those, I'd be in big, big trouble. I wouldn't have any time to do what God wants me to do. So let's look at divine appointments. There's four groups that I want you to look at that we're responsible for, scripturally speaking. Number one is our family. We are responsible to our family. We are responsible to these divine appointments. You've been given a family, both immediate and extended, right? God tells us to take care of them. First Timothy 5 and verse 8, it says, but those who won't care for their own relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Wow. Pretty strong statement, right? If we're not taking care of our own, God's going to hold us accountable. There needs to be some compassion shown in the home. Your number one priority is your family and taking care of them and sharing God's love with them. Compassion starts in your home. Number one priority is family, both immediate and extended. Secondly, fellow believers. Deuteronomy 15 and verse 11 says, There will always be some in the land who are poor. That is why I'm commanding you to share freely with the poor and with other Israelites in need. There's always going to be those. And there's always going to be those among us. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, whenever we have opportunity, we should do good for everyone, especially for those in the family of faith, right? We've got to share with those around us and those close to us. Thirdly, we want to share with widows and orphans. What matters to God? What's the most important thing to Him? I've taught Sunday school for the last 20 years, and I can prove it. I've got the little pin to put on my shirt, so I can prove it. I've been teaching Sunday school for the last 25 years. Is that important to God? Maybe. I have 40, 40 or 50 conversations to report every single Wednesday night. I've had that many conversations with God every single Wednesday night. Is that important to God? I've overcome every addiction that I've ever experienced in my life. I've overcome it. Is that important to God? Yeah. What does God really care about? Look at James chapter 1 and verse 27. It says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing 
to let the world corrupt you. Your family, fellow believers, widows and orphans. God thinks it's important. If our religion is is true, then we're going to be taking care of those less fortunate. And number four, neighbors. My neighbor is not everyone in the world. It's the people that are around me. Your neighbor is not everyone in the world. It's the people around you. Who's your neighbor? This Samaritan didn't have a Jericho Road ministry. It's not like the Samaritan lived out there on the road and and that was his missionary position. He didn't live there. He didn't go there to missionary to those people. He just happened to be on that road. That person, he just came in contact with that individual. It was an opportunity to share compassion. Just because there's a great ad campaign that comes through doesn't mean that you necessarily should support it. I'm not saying these type of ministries are wrong in any way, shape, or form. I'm just saying it it may not, God may not have your name on that ministry, on that opportunity, something that you've got to determine. The best ad campaign and the saddest pictures tend to pull on our heartstrings. But just because you're moved emotionally by their emotional-driven campaign doesn't mean that God has your name on it. I'm not saying he doesn't either, but just think about it. Just be aware of the fact that the whole reason that those ad campaigns are emotionally driven is to get you involved, right? But God may not have your name on it. Just because they have your number doesn't mean God put your name on that ministry. How many of you answer your phone at 6 o'clock in the evening, your home phone at 6 o'clock in the evening? Anybody? Does anybody have a home phone still? A few of you? I still have a home phone. And you know what? When the phone rings at 6 o'clock, sometimes it'll ring at 5.45, sometimes it'll ring at 6.15 or 6.20. And most of those calls are what? Either politicians or surveys or... And if, if in fact those surveys actually take place and then they put out the statistics, how many of you really want to listen to the statistics from the people that pick up their phone at 6 o'clock in the evening. You see what I mean? It's kind of weird. It's kind of strange. But anyway, just because an ad campaign has your phone number or even, even, even touches your heart does not necessarily mean that God's got your name on it. Those of you who are bleeding hearts are going to be torn apart by all these drive-by guiltings. You're going to be torn in so many different directions, trying to help so many different people. In Mark chapter 14, we find Jesus hanging out with another loser. (laughs) Actually, several, not losers. He he was a loser to the world. He was a leper. His name was, I think his name was Philip. And he came in and they were having a chat and then someone else, something happened. A young lady came in and dumped two years' worth of wages in oil on Jesus' feet, poured it on his head, anointed him, and what did Jesus say? It's okay. You're always going to have the poor around you. Yes, this two years' worth of wages could have been used for, you could have gone a long ways to feed the poor, 
but you're always going to have the poor. You're not always going to have me. Why did Jesus say that? For all you bleeding hearts, you're like, man, Jesus must have been, must not have been really who he saw cracked up to be. And maybe it even makes you as bleeding heart doubt Christ being the Son of God because he made statements like this. But in reality, there's priority in Jesus' words. It was the most important thing right then. Once again, if we spend all of our resources on the poor and on overseas missions, we will be all spent and miss the opportunities that God has our name on right here under our nose. We need to be careful about it. We need to watch out. Divine appointments or drive-by guiltings. We need to be aware of it. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 7. We're going to wrap this point up with this verse. Good people care about justice of the poor, but the wicked are not concerned. We needed to learn to distinguish between divine appointments and drive-by guiltings. Second, we need to offer, we need to offer help before we offer advice. Help people first. Earn the right to be heard. James chapter 2 and verse 14 says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, Goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? We're a rare breed, the church at Loveland is. We have a tendency to help people. (laughs) We do that often. We give of our own to help others. We have benevolence funds. We have missions funds. We do things for other people. And not just as a church, but as individuals. We're constantly helping people. In this building, we're already started. There's many people... Uh, uh, volunteering and, and spending their time here to help other people. That's what we do. Church, I want to tell you, there are congregations in this town, literally their leaders have told me that we're just really not good at benevolence. We just really don't have time to, to put anything like that together. One of them actually asked me, do you think it would be possible for us to just to just give you our benevolence fund so that you guys could put it to work where, it, where it's needed. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food and clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? I'm not trying to run down churches that don't have something organized. I'm just saying we as a congregation need to continue to cultivate this compassion, this type of compassion. We need to be sharing with those around us. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 17, it says, If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but doesn't show compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before the Lord. I love Romans 12, 15 too. It says, be happy when those who are happy and weep with those who weep. 
We offer help before we offer advice. You know, there's going to be some that come and ask for advice. And those are easy. Like, yeah, sure, I'll, I, anybody can share their opinion, right? But earning the right to be heard is a total different ball game. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of energy to earn the right to be heard. Offer help before you offer advice. Biblical compassion comes. Thirdly, we need to fix a problem. Don't feed a pattern. The bleeding hearts are saying, yeah, it's, it's not their fault. The environment they were raised in was just caused them problems. And, and maybe it was their parents' fault. You might be right. The hard-hearted have, the, have this plan to yank them out of this mess that they're in. And, and they have this whole, uh, they even might even have a chart that shows them if they do this and this and this and this, and they'll get right out of this problem. If they don't follow our plan, then we write them off as weak. We need to fix a problem rather than, rather than feed a pattern. And it doesn't matter if it's self-induced or not. You know, there's, there's people that, that get themselves into situations and get themselves into problems on their own, right? They do. We have to realize that God fixed our problem in the midst of our sin. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says, But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. When we were perfect in his eyes, is that what that verse says? God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while what? We were still sinners. It wasn't after we were cleaned up that he died for us. It was in the midst of it. People are going to come to us with messes in their lives. It's going to be messy and when you get involved, it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, you're going to be messy with them. But we have to be careful not to enable them. We have to be careful not to take it too far. If you've ever been around an addict, you know that it, there's a fine line, help or enable, right? We don't want to be an accomplice to the matters. We can be careful about that. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10 says, When we were with you, we gave you this rule. Anyone who refuses to work should not eat. That's pretty strong once again. God keeps trying to spank their butts and we keep putting padding down their shorts. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Sometimes we do that. We need to be careful. Don't punish the good to feed the poor. We really can't act like spiritual Robin Hoods, robbing from the rich and paying the poor. When we feed a pattern, we're stealing from those who are doing good. If we're feeding a pattern, we're stealing from those who are doing good. We need to be careful about it. We need to consider it. I'm talking about spiritual things. Robin Hood used to, you know, steal from the rich to give to the poor. But when, it's, when it comes to spiritual things... We can't pull spiritual things out of those who desire it and want it and need it to give it to people who don't care, don't want, and don't have any desire to follow God. We've got to keep that in in perspective. If I neglect my family, if I spend all my time helping other people and don't spend quality time with my kids, I'm not doing it right. 
We've got to take care of the priorities that God wants us to take care of. We don't want to feed, we want to fix the problem, we don't want to feed a pattern. Proverbs 19, verse 17, it says, If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and He will repay you. Fix a problem. Don't feed a pattern. What's next? Number four, do what you can. You just do what you can. The bleeding hearts in the room say, Oh, dear Lord, I haven't done enough. And they're hurrying around, scuffling around, trying to grab and and gather more resources to help all these people. The hard-hearted say, I can't fix all that. So guess what? I'm just going to do nothing. We need to do what we can. We need to do what we can. We need to do what we have resources to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 12 says, Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. The Samaritan did what he could. Two silver coins. Some translations say it differently. Some translations say two days wages. Right? How much does an average person in America make in a day? Two, three, hundred bucks maybe? Is that pretty normal? Give me a yes or a no. Is that pretty normal? Two, three hundred bucks? So if this guy came and, and literally today put this, put this person, this guy that got robbed, this Jewish man that got you know, messed up, put him up in a hotel, how much would it cost for that person to stay there for a couple of days and for maybe a, a nurse or somebody to come over and tend to him, you know, bandage him up and, and take care of him? How much would that cost? Probably two, maybe $400, depending on what, what kind of care the guy needed, right? That's how much it would cost today. So this guy gave two days wages. Then what did he do? Look at the verse. Luke chapter 10, verse 35. It says, the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you what? The next time I'm here. The Samaritan man knew that if he stood there and stayed there and didn't go to work himself, he would not be able to continue to help this young man or this this Jewish man that got hurt. So he did what he could And then he moved on. He continued on down the road. There's going to be times when we have to make that determination. Say, you know what? I have to be done here. I have to move on. I have to go do something else. He left provisions and he moved on. Do what you can. It's not always going to be what they want. But it is what what you can. And last but not least, the bad news. Sorry, it's a major bum way to end a message. Number five is we've got to be careful because some people will never be satisfied. Hard-hearted people say, duh, I could have told you that. Right? But the bleeding hearts are trying to do more than they ought to. And they are hurt when it's not enough. Be careful because people will never be satisfied. Luke chapter 7 verse 31 says, to what? Can I compare the people of this generation? Jesus asks, how can I describe them? They are like children playing the game in public square. They complain to their friends. We played wedding songs and you didn't dance. And we played funeral songs and you didn't weep. 
Look at verse 33. He compares two different people. First, John the Baptist. John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread and drinking wine, and you say, he's possessed by a demon. Verse 34 describes another person. It's describing himself. The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. Look at what verse 35 says. But wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. Be aware that those that we are helping, those that we are showing compassion on, may not always be satisfied. They're going to think, well, yeah, that wasn't good enough. I'm going to go to another place. I'm going to go somewhere else to get help. I'm going to go somewhere else to get compassion. Doing the right thing is still the right thing. We'll catch slack for almost anything we do. Jesus did. John the Baptist did. That's why it's so important that you make sure God has your name on it. If God wants you to do it, if God's shown it to you, then you better follow through with it. And you better get it done. Because doing the right thing is still right. Beware, because some people won't be satisfied. So let's wrap wrap this up. How do you answer the question, can you feel it when they hurt? The bleeding hearts in the room, they start sobbing just thinking about it, right? The hard-hearted in the room start thinking of all the ways they could have prevented this hurt. At the end of the day, I want to be seen as compassionate. At the end of the day, when it's all said and done, we would rather be seen as compassionate versus complacent. Let's not be a church who is complacent. Let's not be a church who doesn't care about the needs of others around us. Let's be a church that is compassionate, that's willing to show that we're compassionate like Christ was. But at the same time, I don't want my wife and kids to say, you took what was mine and gave it away to others. Be aware of that. But once again, this message is just to help us align. Help us to get back in line with where Christ wants us to be. To find what God's will is for our lives. We may have been on the bleeding heart side. We may have been on the hard hearted side. It's to try to get us to come to the middle where God wants us to be in this this aspect of compassion. We want to align to God's will. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you're a bleeding heart, You need to set some boundaries so that when God sends you something with your name on it, you will have some left to give. If you're hard-hearted or you tend to be that way, you have to think about what's on the registry. What do I mean by that? Well, look in your checkbook. Look at your bank account. You need to be able to show some proof of your compassion. Look at it. Think about it. Have you shown that kind of compassion? God's message, your move. Got a couple more verses to share with you, and then we'll be done. James chapter 2 and verse 14. We kind of looked at it a little bit earlier. I want us to look at it again. James chapter 2 and verse 14. 
says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your action? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister and has no food and clothing. You say, goodbye, have a good day, stay well, stay warm and eat well. But you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does, he do? what good does that do? Then drop down to verse 19. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God? But then observe you sitting back as if you had done something wonderful? That's just great. Because demons do that. And what good does it do them? Use your heads. Don't you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Completely useless. Pointless and useless. Faith without good deeds. God's calling you to put your faith into action. Are you in? Or are you going to sit back with the demons in complacency? Are you willing to put your faith into action? It's called compassion. It's called sharing what we've got with those around us. I want us to be full of action. I don't want us to just sit back and say we believe and say we have faith, but not put our deeds into action. I have an idea. But I need commitment before I can share my idea with you. Are you willing to put your faith into action? Yes or no? Raise your hand if you're willing to put your faith into action. Don't do it. I wouldn't do it if I were you. Faith into action. Otherwise, we're just seen as demons. We're just seen as as one of those run-of-the-mill people, right? So I have an idea. Because love does, because compassion requires action, I want us to put our faith into action tonight. I want us to do it today. Before we forget about what this message is all about, I want us to do it today, right? At 7 o'clock tonight, I want us to come back here after our classes, right? So if you're going to be here for a class at 4 o'clock, make sure you follow through and bring what I'm asking you to bring at 7. We're going to play bigger and better tonight at 7 o'clock. Do you remember what bigger and better is? We heard about it on Wednesday night. Young Richard, Bob Goff's son, started out with a dime. And he went to the local community, he went to the neighbors, and he started to say, hey, this is a, I want to trade up. I'm, we're playing a game called bigger and better, and I want to trade up. Here's my dime. What do you have? I want us to do that. I want us to bring something tonight at 7 o'clock. And literally, we are going to start from these front doors. We're going to drive a couple, maybe a couple neighborhoods away, do whatever we can, and start, start doing this bigger and better. You can do, go in groups, or you can go with two or three of you. Uh, just start with something, and let's see what we can build up to. All right? Let's see what we can build up to. Who knows? Bob Goff's son came home in a Dodge. Literally, a Dodge pickup. 
It can be done. He went through an elk head and a ping pong table and a mattress and all kinds of stuff, right? So let's see what we can get accomplished. It can be small, but let's go out into the community and say, you know what, we're trying to help a family, a local family in the community, and we're playing this game called Bigger and Better. We have a young lady that we're trying to help right now. Uh, we're, we're trying to get some money put together for her to, so that she can make her rent payment. She is down and out. She's had pneumonia for almost a month. She hasn't been able to work. Her kids have had ammonia for almost a month before that. So she's obviously had to miss work because of that. So how many of you could survive if you lost your job and didn't have any income for two months? Some of you may have an emergency fund that would fund that. But two months later, you're going to start to feel it, right? She wasn't prepared for that. And right now, she's in a bad situation. She's got four kids, and she's getting kicked out of her house. We need to do something for her. We need to try to help her. And this is one way we can do it, all right? So I want you to bring something tonight. It could be small. The smaller, the better, because we're playing bigger and better, right? So if you start with something small and you end up with something big, something better, then, you know, there's some change, right? So, and if you don't want to play this game and you just absolutely do not want to participate in this game part, then what I want you to do is I want you to bring something huge to donate, to, to give. And you just bring it here and just drop it here and we're going to sell it this week on Craigslist and we're going to give that money to this young lady that needs it, okay? So that's what we're going to do tonight. Seven o'clock, bring something small and a partner or two and we're going to go out into the community and see it and play bigger and better. And then obviously your job, I can't sell all this stuff on Craigslist this week, so I'm going to need some help. I'll do as much as I can, but uh, I'm going to need some help. So we're going to sell it. We're going to try to get money out of whatever it is that we end up with, and then we'll give that money to this young lady that needs our help. Okay? Are you in? Yeah. You still in? Yeah. Want to put action, faith into action? Yes. Right? Okay, let's try that. And then at 8 o'clock, we'll come back here. We'll see how we did, and um, we'll try to give to this young lady and um, help her out. I think it'd be an awesome opportunity um, to put our faith into action. <clears throat> I hope you agree. We'll see if you agree. We'll see if you want to put your faith in action. Come 7 o'clock if you show up. Show up with nothing. I might have something to give you. and I'll just, I'll just give you something small, and then you can go out and do it, do it also. Also. You start with a rock. You start with a twig. It's pretty easy to build up from that, right? Well, let's bring something tonight. All right, way of announcements. Um, we got the Valley 500 coming up here real soon, August 28th, Friday night. I want us to all participate in that if we can. Uh, it starts at 6.30. And uh, if you want to do...